everyone. Hope you're having a stellar day. And if you're stateside, hope you're having an excellent Memorial Day holiday week. I know I am. I'm with my family right now and it's it's been really nice seeing everybody after so long. I think it's been a year since I've seen everyone. So this has been particularly nice. As always, I'm Riley and this is Sex With Everyone. And today I'm talking with Chaos Keeper in Phoenix, Arizona. And Chaos Keeper is on the other end of a flashpan marriage and discusses his experiences with having such an intense relationship so quickly and is now going through a divorce. He talks about his belief in chaos magic and his use of sex magic and his love of having drug-induced sex and what he finds so enjoyable and intimate about those experiences. He also discusses being polyamorous and how he and his primary partner do not have much of a sexual relationship together and why that is. It's a really interesting conversation and I hope you enjoy it. So please join me as I talk about sex with Chaos Keeper. Chaos Keeper in the house. Yes, indeed. What is up, my friend? (laughs) Uh, Not a whole lot. Just uh, getting my life put back together after my recent relationship collapse. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, we got to start there then. What what happened? Uh, Well, uh, sometimes you uh, meet somebody and fall in love way too fast Mm. and uh, don't pay attention to the red flags. And uh, it ends up in bite you in the ass. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all been there. <laughs> what what red flags were you intentionally ignoring? <laughs> um, for one thing, how different our core belief systems were. Mm, um, like political, religious, or or what? I guess you could say religious. Her her spirituality was at the opposite end of the spectrum of spirituality from where mine was, mm. and her belief systems and the way that she portrayed herself within them was a little out of alignment with reality is the best way I can put it. Can you give me a for instance? Believing that you're a channeler and that you are channeling gods and entities when the alternate, much more sane and rational resolution is DID. Mm. It's an interesting place to to have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like... (laughs) And just out of curiosity, what is your spirituality? So I am a chaos magician, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also a secular humanist. I, yeah, cool. I don't believe in gods, demons, entities, anything mm-hmm. like that as mm-hmm. anything other than things created by the will of mankind. Mm-hmm. So a central tenets in chaos magic and theory is that belief creates reality. If you have enough people who believe in something and invest energy into it, it will take on a, a, a life form and an entity of itself that feeds off the attention it's getting from those people. Mm. And that's how gods are created. Enough people believe in something and an entity is formed that starts an exchange. It's mm-hmm. it's fulfilling the, the things that the people want out of their entity. In return, it's getting worship and belief. Mm-hmm. Um, the other... Side of that is a, a god ignored as a demon born. When oh, interesting. So when the belief system fails out and there are no longer people investing belief into an entity, it will start to lash out to get attention. 
And that's how you get poltergeists and demons and other historical oh. lore figures. Yeah. And it's an interesting place to be because I'm, I'm an atheist. I don't, I don't believe in gods, but I'll, I'll happily, you know, call the four corners of rock towers and use Teletubbies for the four corners because there's millions of little kids who think Teletubbies have a lot of power. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, Working with my ex and talking with her about how she does and her eclectic practice. And it's just like, all right, well, <laughs> I have some books you need to read because what you're describing at the core is what chaos and magic in theory is. Mm. You're just using it in a framework that's over here. And the other central tenet is use whatever works for you. Yeah. Discard anything that doesn't. Yeah. And so something I've been practicing on and off since my early 20s. and. I completed a, a long process of reprogramming my subconscious. That's the central tenet of chaos magic in terms of where that power comes from is your subconscious mind has infinite power, but it's your subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. If it's aware, if, you're, if your conscious mind is aware of what your subconscious is being told to do or programmed to do, there's a method called the psychic sensor, which will come in and actively block your subconscious from being able to receive those extension instructions. Mm -hmm. So you have to find a way to distract the conscious mind while you're programming the subconscious mind. And that may be via sigils. That may be via sex magic. That may be via drugs. It may be there's a number of different ways to reach that state where you're able to program the subconscious mind. Yeah. And I program my subconscious mind with a lot of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. A lot of psychedelics. <laughs> It was effective. I look at my life now compared to where I was, and I'm pretty happy with the overall results. How cool. Yeah. You mentioned sex magic. Do mm -hmm. you, is that something that you practice? It is something I have done before. I would um, love to hear everything about that. <laughs> I know nothing about sex magic, and that is, uh, you know, on brand right now. <laughs> uh, well, one of the ways that you can call up power to utilize to empower a sigil or a ritual or create a new entity such as a, a servitor or a god form is with sexual energy mm. and uh, very akin to tantric meditation um, and you will generally with that consenting partner work together on what you're going to accomplish and what you're going to do and you will Utilize sex as a way to bring yourself right to the point of orgasm over a long period of time without crossing the line and build that like tension edging? up. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and bring bring that energy and bring that in and focus it. And then in the process, when you actually release, rather than focusing on how good, how amazing, how, how great this feels – you're trying to hold the image or the thought or the manifestation of that ritual that you're doing mm -hmm. in your head so that the energy that you're releasing is going there. The energy you're releasing when you orgasm, mm -hmm. I assume. And so sex magic can be used for things that are not necessarily sexual in nature, like, like when you're focusing on bettering yourself in some way mm -hmm. or, or something. Okay. Interesting. 
I would love to hear like an example of, of something you've done, a ritual you've done with sex magic before. Uh, <clears throat> and is this something that you do solo or with somebody else? It can, or? it can be either. Okay. Uh, I mean, there, there's a, there's a trope in the nineties about chaos magicians masturbating in corners to charge sigils to, to go off <laughs> and, and fight their, fight their little sh- shamanic wars with each other, you know? Hmm. Um, it's, it's just one of a, a, a multitude of different tools that you can use. And it's, it's, not one I've used a lot. Uh, drugs are always way easier. And <laughs> uh, at at the time when I was practicing, I was very single and mm-hmm. not in a position. I was you know, living in a house with three guys in the living room on a couch. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't dating anybody, wasn't seeing anybody. And uh, so it was all right. What are my options? All right. I have sigils to work with. I have drugs. I have working with entities that I call up in the midst of a robo trip. Mm. And I don't know if you're familiar with what that is. So, uh, dextromethorphan is the main ingredient in Robitussin DM. Okay. And it's a molecular mirror of morphine. Okay. But it's also a potent disassociative. Huh. So if you drink a bottle of Robitussin, you will trip. Interesting. Very hard. Yeah. And, it is also one of the strangest trips I've ever experienced in my life. And it puts you in a state of lucid dreaming. So the, the, the first time I did it, I did it at home. And I was like, wow. And I, I started playing with lucid dreaming. I was like, uh, I want to see chaos stars everywhere. And they just sprouted like flowers mm. all around me, fractals and weirdness. And I was like, all right. And just playing with the, the with with the hallucination and seeing what I could manifest and what I could do. I was like, I want to see dead bodies grow up out of the ground everywhere. I was just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, like, good, oh, okay. <laughs> and went out to the club, came home, forgot how to pee because oh, you're no. disassociated from your body, right? right? Like, right. I spent like 15 minutes in the bathroom, like, how do I pee? How does how, how does my body? Turn out, I was running a sink for like 15 minutes to try to use the water trick yeah, yeah. and eventually finally was able to, but it, it was very, very surreal. And one time after like the, the kind of crescendo moment for me where I had gone through this process, process of very stark depression in Oregon during the winter every year. Mm-hmm. From November through April, my life fell apart and started working with chaos magic and had this little crystal skull that I used a Sharpie to ins- inscribe a bunch of sigils and work on, uh, that I used to house my depression. Hmm. And, uh, I did use, uh, sex magic and, charged that sigil using masturbation and was able to get relief from my depression Wow! for about 18 months. And it finally came to the end of this. Uh, I had been starting to do work with the Cthulhu mythos, which is a very dark and weird place to try to draw power from. It can be done. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> It, because it, it 
starts to intrude into your life in really unexpected mm-hmm. ways. The the people in your life that you meet start to get markedly more weird and cultist like. <laughs> the, the it's like and I, I don't want to say it's like law of attraction because the law of attraction is bullshit. Uh, but you can tune into a certain wavelength and other people who are on that wavelength will mm-hmm. see it in you. Mm-hmm. And I'd gone on this trip to Seattle with a bunch of friends and on the way back we were, uh, this is in the nineties before everybody knew meth was bad. <laughs> we, uh, we had all been doing meth all weekend and we, and we'd gone up to this thing called the goth scouts back in the nineties there was like a an organization it was like a joke goth scouts organization there were goth merit badges that you could earn and all of this stuff it was the early days of the internet yeah so so we were we were up there for a goth scouts meeting uh like five of us had driven up at every rest stop we stopped at another line and then drove on and mm-hmm. got there and ended up leaving and driving back to Portland and it was foggy and the entirety of I-5 has these big sodium-lithium-ion lights along the freeway. And in the fog, this cone of fog, mm. like the brightly lit mm-hmm. fog, right. and then dark fog all along the freeway. And the whole way home, I have mythos entities appearing in the cones of light. By the end, it's Marltep in every light staring at me. And... I'm just like, Jesus, fuck, Jesus, fuck, what the fuck is going on? And I'm like, Jerry, what's going on? He's like, I don't know, but I keep hallucinating semis trying to T-bone us. And I got home and I was just like, time to drink a bottle of Robitussin because I need to tap into whatever is going on. Narltep is, in in the mythos, he's a all-seeing, all-knowing god of knowledge, but pure chaos drive you mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And got home, drank a bottle of Robitussin, and working on my computer, and we had this plaid couch that I slept on. And I knew it was time to stop when the plaid started rolling like a tank tread <laughs> across the whole couch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, all right. And then sat down and started with putting my protection up and doing all of that stuff. And... Then started feeling around to try and get in touch with what was going on and why I was seeing this representation of this entity for three hours straight Mm -hmm. in every light. (laughs) And turned out that what was blocking me from accessing that was this crystal skull. And I ended up taking it out onto the deck with a five-pound sledgehammer and shattering it. Oh, wow. And it exploded like shrapnel, like yeah. just like in, in a million different directions. And those feelings and things that I had locked up and bottled away from me came back. Mm. But they came back different. They no longer had quite the same uh, grip and edge that they'd had previously. And huh. the next couple months, I uh, was able to get out of that house and into an apartment with the guy, Sean, who was always over, became one of my really good friends. And just, it was like the start of me rebuilding my reality 
into the reality I needed it to be to get me to where I'm at now. Very cool. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> it's always amazing what power we can have when we focus our energy into something very specific. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether for you it's chaos magic and for other people it's various other religions or into themselves or in various things, but it's always interesting because our power of belief can be so strong. It can have like a really tangible mark difference on us. Mm-hmm. And I just, I find that fascinating. I am curious for putting sex magic specifically aside. Mm-hmm. How does your faith, do you consider it a faith or is it just like spirituality? Um, how do you classify it? I guess it's a belief system. Okay. Um, so how does yeah. your belief system in chaos magic relate to your sexuality or does it at all? Have you ever noticed like a difference um, of like it having some kind of say or filter on your sexuality or the way you interact with partners? It, or it, anything it like does. That? Um, yeah. so Back to central tenets of chaos magic. Uh, nothing's true. Everything is permitted. Mm-hmm. And what that means is there are no laws in the world that govern you and what you decide to do as long as you are willing to accept the consequences of your actions. Mm-hmm. And for me, I am a very big believer in consent. Mm-hmm. And for me, consent is important because I'm on the dominant side when it comes to BDSM and sex. I want to play with my partners and I want to play in ways that they want to be played with. Mm -hmm. And I want to be very sure that I am not pushing boundaries that I have not been given permission to push. So when, for example, I've got my massage table set up and I'm, working with my ex-partner and she's a big squirter. And so it's like figuring out all of the, all of the fun new ways that I could get her to produce ever more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we had discussed it beforehand and, and she's like, blah, 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 and this and this and this and, and understand I may say stop, but push me just a little further. Yeah. And so we moved from two fingers to three fingers, different positions, figuring out where it was. And eventually it was just like, all right, well, let's see. You're re- with, with, with four fingers and a forward rake, I can make you squirt every 15 seconds. Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, well. Let's work on this. And so I, I, I worked it up to putting a fist inside her. Mm-hmm. And it was like every five seconds. Yeah. And she was like, go figure. I never would have thought that that would be the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, that's a, like getting there to that point where it was, you, you have to get comfortable with mm-hmm. and you can, you can push the boundary, but you have to listen if they're like, no, you know, back off, back off. Moving in and out and work in conjunction with them to get to that point. It's the same thing if you're working with a paddle or a flog or anything else. You've got to got to figure out where their comfort levels are and how much they're into, and mm-hmm. work in and out with a safe word with whatever signaling. You have to pay attention to it because that's your responsibility as the person who's being the top. There's some differing schools of thought on that, and 
some people refer to as topping from the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the relationship that it, that's how in my mind it should be because you're working together to provide your partner with an experience that they're going to enjoy and that you're going to enjoy. And if you're in tune and as a uh, Dan Savage says, GGG, a uh, good giving game. And that basically boils down to we as humans expect our partners to be good at sex, yep. which means practice. Right. <laughs> we expect our partners to be giving, to give us pleasure and not always get it in return. Mm-hmm. We expect our partners to be game, to try anything that we might like. And we're willing to do the same for them. Right. And my ex-partner was, she's a very hurt individual and I understand where she's coming from and the things that she's been through. And I understand why she made the decision that she did. It's kind of a hard balance to be in a relationship with someone where in the bedroom, they're asking you to push the line, help them grow, help them learn. But when it comes to the interpersonal relationship, they expect absolutely rock hard, strict adherence Mm. to every quote boundary with no room for errors, no room for human mistakes. But at the same time, they maintain that they don't expect perfection, that they know that everybody's human and makes mistakes. Right. <laughs> so it becomes a very impossible well, line impossible, to toe. Yeah. And so yeah. such is life. Um, moved on from that. <laughs> and, uh, and that was a pretty quick relationship that y'all had. Right? Yeah, no, it, uh, we, we met in March of this last year mm-hmm. and hit it off really well, dated up until May when we decided, like, just loosely dated, not even any sexual activity until mm-hmm. May, and just got to know each other. And really, I had thought, fell in love and, you know, had a lot of discussions and a lot of talks where we, you know, came across issues, discussed them, talked about how to resolve them, worked through it, and got together on Mother's Day, <laughs> which we were affectionately calling Milf's Day because <laughs> uh, she did not have her son that weekend and uh i had told her the first day that we met that i was into her and she's like i don't like that i was like okay (laughs) well are you okay with me getting to know you more she's like yeah that's fine by the end of the night she gave me her phone number and started talking and i had made the offer like i have a hot tub i have a pool you're welcome to come over anytime and never pushed it and the weekend of mother's day she's like i think i'm ready for that hot tub day (laughs) I was like, all right, sweet. I'll be by to pick you up this time, and we'll we'll go from there. And came over. We got in the hot tub, drinking tequila and talking, and just for three or four hours. And then she had her evening call with her son uh, from the edge of the hot tub on her phone, <laughs> and continued talking. And the subject of my birth chart came up, and I, I'm astrology is cute and entertaining, but fundamentally racist. <laughs> Racist. Oh, absolutely. Is it? I've, I've it not is. realized that. Any, any system which says that the following qualities about you can be defined by something you have no control over hmm. is fundamentally racist. Hmm. It fundamentally calls back to the idea that you can tell something about somebody by the color of their skin. Yeah, right. That you can tell something about somebody 
by uh, where they were born. Mm -hmm. And that is astrology in a nutshell. Yeah. Where you're born, yeah, sure what is. stars are in the sky above you, stuff yeah. that you have no control over. Right. And I've firmly maintained that astrology is good for two things. Making you money and getting you laid. <laughs> it bears out. Yeah. <laughs> because the first time I gave her my actual birth date and time, mm -hmm. she ran my chart and she was just like, oh my God. Oh my, oh my God. This makes so much sense now. You've never been loved the way you were supposed to be. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I can love you that way. Okay. And swam up into my lap yeah. and changed the nature of the relationship entirely because... Because of your birth chart? Because of my birth chart. Wow. And, like, she full-on knows that that is how I view astrology and how I view all of yeah, that. Yeah. And we've talked about it repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it just moved faster and faster and faster from there. Like, she effectively moved in by the end of the month. And I was totally okay with that. Like, yeah. it was, like... I'm happy. Um, and, and then we started having like weird bumps. She'd get upset and she'd start withholding touch, start withholding sex, wouldn't talk about it. I'd, I'd have to wait until she was ready to talk about it before we could even discuss the issue. Right. And we would discuss the issue uh, eight times out of 10. It was something that I needed to apologize for two times out of 10. It was something that she had to go away and think about for eight or 10 hours before she came back and acknowledged that she was in the wrong on that one and that she would try to modify her behavior. But every time there was any type of a conflict, it was that exact same pattern. I won't hug you. I won't touch you. I won't talk to you until this. And that, that could be, Overnight, it could be three or four days because she's, quote, processing. Right. And she would do a thing that I refer to as weaponizing her trauma. She would make me responsible for her reaction to something that I did. Like what? Um, so one of our, one of our, our, our biggest pain points uh was fundamentally i believe that sex is the lubrication of a relationship yep it is how i personally know whether or not something is really wrong mm -hmm. uh, because if my partner and i are still fucking regularly even if we're arguing or having tense discussions or uh, trying to figure something out like fundamentally we're okay because that's the base human layer of communication between partners. Yeah. And like maintaining that connection. Yeah. And, and then yeah. that's how you, that's how you get through those rough spots. That's how you get through. That's how you let your partner know that even though we're fighting, even though we're arguing, even though there's this tension behind it, behind us, I still love you. I still want to be with you. I still want to do all of all of these things that make us a couple and partners and get through this. And so we had several discussions over time where you'd be three or four days out. I haven't, I've been in, you know, in the same house, in the same room 
with a partner who doesn't want to be touched, doesn't want to talk to me. And it would boil over to the point where it became an actual conflict at that point. And I'm just like, this, this isn't acceptable to me to be in a partnership that's this way. Like I'm trying to do everything I can to work with you and make this work. I'm literally paying all the bills and providing all of the resources. I'm doing all of these things so that you have the bandwidth to do this court paperwork, to fight for custody for your kid, which you would not be able to do if you were working, if you are, you'd not be able to do if you're doing this. And all I'm asking for in return is regular physical touch and affection. Like I'm not, I'm not requiring you to service me at need. It doesn't have to be every day, but it just needs to happen regularly. Yeah. And that became, you're just like all of my older partners, just like I I always have this fight, blah, 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 blah. And, And then it was like, okay, I understand that an experience similar to this is something that you've had before, but I am not those people. Right. And it is unfair of you to treat me as if I am them and we're having this conflict again, because this is a discussion we are having about us and how we're going to deal with this. Right. And when we went on our honeymoon and we went up to Oregon and we joined all my friends for this festival that we do every year and we had been talking and rehashing and as you do when you're driving for three days <laughs> yeah. and, stuck in a car together. And she was trying to get her only fans off the ground at that point and all of this other stuff. And I'm just like, I understand that these are all things you're trying to do, but we're also on our honeymoon. Like with finances as they were, then I could afford to pay for everything. And I'm like, don't worry about doing that right now. Like that can all start as soon as we get back. That can all be the focus and do all of that. But right now, this honeymoon is about us bonding together and forming the foundation of what our relationship is going to be for the rest of our lives together. And that was a very psychedelic field weekend on a lot of levels, but it also was 12 to 14 hours a day of intensive one-on-one discussion and talking and what we want in the future and how are we going to do this and i did not have sex i had sex on my honeymoon twice um the first four days we had taken her son up to meet my family Mm -hmm. and one day there my brother and his girlfriend were like hey we're gonna take your kid to the park so you guys can have some alone time yeah right thank you yes thank you and so so we we got to we got to do that that time and then the next time was not for almost a week and a half later we were on our way back to after having multiple conversations all night deep in the woods and and, and I finally found the words that made her understand that was like you weaponize your trauma mm-hmm. you use your weaponized trauma to control what I am allowed to speak about. Mm-hmm. And if there is something that is triggering you or traumatizing you, you take that triggering and trauma out on me in ways 
that make me not able to tell you what's going on that make that, that don't allow me to do that. And that was some, something she had to sit with. And she was like, you're right. I do do that. And continued having like the, the, your expectations regarding sex are unreasonable. And I'm like, yeah, but it's real weird for me that when we're having sex regularly, we're not having problems. And back and forth over and over drove all the way from seaside Oregon. So like I, I gotten us a hotel so that we could be in a space so that we could have a, have a, cause she didn't want to have sex on the road. She didn't want to, I was like, all right, fine. I'll get us a hotel. We can shower. We can do all of the necessary clean stuff. We can relax. And, and then it became this huge fight at the hotel because now I was expecting it. Right. And it just seems like you guys were just not on the same page yeah. at all with like expectations. Yeah. With it, each other. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and so it's, it's hard. It sounds like that's a really hard discovery to have on your honeymoon. Very, very that's hard. Not ideal for sure. So we, uh, did a cocaine fuel drive <laughs> from seaside Oregon to Parker, Arizona. So during this cocaine fuel drive where we actually were able to turn off the emotion as much and just have an actual discussion. Mm-hmm. I f- we really like made some headway and got some stuff figured out. And Sorry, does cocaine do that? It turns down emotional states? For me, yeah, it does. And for her oh, as well. It, it just it it allowed it it allowed us to talk so we weren't drinking, we were yeah. just yeah, doing yeah. little bumps out of a bullet as we're driving and just talking and ranging subjects, just talking about the relationship and the, what we wanted and how we yeah. wanted to get there. Got like had called ahead to the hotel and they said, yes, we can get you checked in early. And we finally had sex again and destroyed two beds at the hotel. <laughs> and she's like, this is really nice. We can destroy this bed and then sleep in this one. Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you know, went and, went and got him, came home, had the weekend with him, got him home and things were really pretty good for a couple of weeks. And it just, as long as we were having sex, we were able to work and, and get it working. But as soon as, as soon as that stopped, it became a point of contention and and it's not like she wasn't enjoying it. It wasn't <laughs> like, right. like, like, so it was very much just uh, unfortunate. I mean, because yeah. we were extremely sexually compatible yeah. in every way. When, other, when you were, but when sex. yeah, when we were having <laughs> sex, but right. And so you guys are obviously no longer together, and you guys are going through a divorce now. We are, yeah. Uh, so we we filed. Sounds like a flash pan. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's it ended just as abruptly as it started. Uh, yeah, she she decided that it was done and that there was <clears throat> no hope of. Bringing it back you, a week and a half you? after my dad died. <laughs> Jesus. And uh, it was extremely brutal and extremely traumatizing. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to be processing that one for a minute. Yeah. But I, I, I think at this point I have mostly processed it. It's yeah. it's like there you, you can't force someone to do anything. It's, once again, no, I'm a no. consent-based creature. Like yeah. if my partner does not want to be with me, my partner has no interest in working with me or trying to find a solution, then I just need to transition her out of my life as rapidly, as peacefully, and as cheaply as I can. Right, right. And I'm just very glad that I had the foresight to do prenups. Mm. And then when we 
filled out the paperwork and decided how we were going to file it. I, we did a post-nup covering all of the things that needed to be covered and reaffirming the conditions in the prenup and then got it notarized and then filed that all with the court. Cause we, I was like, we referenced the conditions of the prenup and the post-nup as part of the court filing mm-hmm. so that that's all filed with the court. Yeah. It's all in their initial docs. And now we're just waiting for the actual hearing date to be set. So we're past the 20 day response period. And then I'm going to actually go to the court with a motion for default judgment because mm-hmm. she's not filing a response. She's not doing anything. She's not walking away with any debt other than an IOU to me for $12,500 to cover her portion of the debt that she agreed that she'll pay because she got left with debt by her last husband and she doesn't ever want to do that to someone. And if I see it awesome, yeah. it'll be, it'll be extra money. If yeah. not, I'm prepared to have to cover it myself. Yeah. You're Polly, so you have a primary partner. I do. How long have you guys been together? Uh, since 2007. Yeah. So 15 years now. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you guys don't have like a sexual aspect to your relationship. You've mentioned that to me before. Yeah. And I'm curious what it's like for you to have a partnership that doesn't have that aspect to the relationship when you were just talking about yeah, how, so how much you believe in, you know, sex being the lubricant of a good relationship. It's been, it's been interesting. So like if I wanted a sexual relationship there, I could have one in a yeah. heartbeat. She yeah. would, she would be down. Uh, she, my primary partner does not view sex in the way that most people do. It's for, for her, a blowjob is like a handshake. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's nothing. It's <laughs> so, <laughs> It, it, literally anytime she's like, you stressed? Do you want a blowjob? Do you, do you want me to <laughs> might be, take care of that for you? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. And I, I, for, for years, it was just like, okay, cool. That works. But when I started to actually like want more of a relationship or any of that, then it was just like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> because if I'm, and in the past I've had, I've had that function on her screw things up with somebody I was like getting involved it with because being solo for so long and being alone, it takes a little more work mm-hmm. for me to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and some partners get really upset and offended if you're not getting off with strictly penis and vagina. Right. And I had one, one girl I was seeing who was the first squirter ever dated and great sex, amazing sex all the time. But, Squirters tend to be very well lubricated <laughs> and it's hard to feel any friction a lot of the time. And, right. and so she would get really, really upset. And one time my primary partner had, had blown me before going on a date the next day. Cause I was stressed and she was just doing things I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And the next day, very considerate. yeah. <laughs> The next day, you know, I'd be going to the state and we have a great time. And she, the new girl, had gotten way too drunk at the club. And my old, my primary partner taking her home and put her to bed in my bed. And I got home and laid down. And this girl initiated sex. And then when I couldn't achieve orgasm, she got really upset, really like personally insulted and. Ended the relationship and left. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just because and you couldn't get yeah. off that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Holy so shit. it was just like, all right, well, I need, I need to, uh, remove that portion wow. of 
that from the equation. And so that, that's, that's, that, that's that why. That must really hurt, though. Obviously, I'm not a guy, but uh, from all the conversations I've had with men, you know, sometimes people just don't get off. I mean, I certainly don't get yeah. off every time I fuck, but I know for the men that I've had that kind of conversation with, it can be a sore spot. It can. You know, very, like, it, it hurts <laughs> the ego, you know, because all the various reasons of toxic masculinity and shit. And so for somebody to straight up take you at this point where you're probably embarrassed or feeling, you know, some kind of inadequacy uh, in that particular vulnerable moment and then just shove it in your face and end the relationship over it is so next level fucking rude. I mean, that is... Good riddance, in my fucking opinion. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, peace out, dude. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't regret any of that. And yeah, I, I spent, I spent several years just ignoring relationships and dating and gaming yeah. and just being like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I missed the part where you were talking about like intentionally not having a sexual relationship with, with your Natalie, primary partner with, right yeah, now, like partner. just because you just don't want. To like muddy the waters and some yeah, way, or pretty much. okay, like, interesting because yeah. you guys have built up like such a good relationship. Yeah, at I mean this we point. we we dated for eight years before we got married. Okay, and then we were married for two years yep. and figured out that being married was not where we needed to be. Oh, why is that? Um, because in my brain, um, I'm Polly, mm-hmm. but how I enter a relationship sets the tone and the theme for the relationship. Mm -hmm. If I go into a relationship and it's going to be monogamous, that sets relays in my brain a certain way that are very sets neural pathways, which say, this is my monogamous partner. Right. And there's expectations in that equation. And I have matured a lot and grown a lot since 2007 when my primary partner and I started dating and it was hot and heavy monogamous and that's what they were into. And it evolved over time to be not that. And the more further it evolved away from that, the worse it got for me. So you guys started exploring Polly when you were married? Uh, When we were dating actually, before we got married. Oh, okay. And uh, we got married. So you you went into the, uh, into the marriage itself in a, in a, in already a, oh, kind of yeah, poly? Yeah, already okay. kind of poly. Not, not, not in any way that I'm proud of, you know, like, yeah. like that you could fuck other girls. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it just, it was, it was a source of contention and, and the, the, the goalposts kept moving for her as to where she needed to be to be happy. And then we separated, not because we were getting separated, but because like we, like her father died, we got married. Uh, and then she was coming to Phoenix to open a business with her brother. And she left a year before I was able to go, a year and a half. And so we were doing the long distance thing and the rules became, well, I don't care what you do in Phoenix. Fuck whoever, do whatever. That's fine. Yeah. Just don't fuck anybody in Vegas. Because I don't want to have to meet, see, deal with any of that. Yeah. And that was the agreement. And then I was coming down to visit her. She was coming up to visit me. I was in town getting some security training, which is actually what got me my permanent position here in in Phoenix. And her current boyfriend was uh, living with her at her apartment. And there had been some contention and problems. And I I knew he was living with her, but I didn't know that he was living, living with her. (laughs) Like she had a live-in boyfriend. (laughs) 
And so there was contention about that. And then I came down for like the final round of training. I ended up driving this guy back to his parents' house so that I could have a night with my wife where he wasn't there. And we're talking and she disappeared downstairs to go, I think, get some weed from the neighbors or something. And she had left her phone there and we had each other's passwords. And I was just like, and I'm looking back and I'm like, I see a text message comes in from her BDSM pet in Vegas. Mm-hmm. My cock misses your booty. And I scroll back through and I'm like, wow, she was stopping on the way out of town every time she came to town mm-hmm. to fuck him before she left, which is a direct violation of the agreement that we had. Right. And she came back and I said, an interesting text message came in. I had my phone on the desk recording and I recorded the entire conversation. I was just like, here are all the reasons why I have a problem with this. Here is why this is a betrayal. And here is why we are getting a divorce because I'm willing to try and make this work. But if you're lying to me, if you're not being honest with me about what you're doing, then there's no basis for any of this. This is all built on trust. This is all built on this. And so uh, I drove back to, back to Vegas and started that whole process. And so how did you guys get back together after going through um, something so, so difficult together? Because we're, we're still best friends. I mean, yeah. it was, it was like, it was like the, the entire, the entire, when, when leaving, it was like, I'm getting a divorce like, because I want to preserve the friendship. Like yeah. I, I, I can be your friend I, and deal with you fucking whoever. Yeah. That doesn't bother me. But yeah. when I'm your husband and you're lying to me about who you're fucking. Yeah. That's a whole different issue. Yeah. And so she went back to Phoenix. I think it was probably six months later when I when I moved down. And when I moved to town, you know, she came up and helped me. She drove my car down with the cats in it. And I drove the U-Haul down with Maya in it because Maya was the new cat who had just moved in. And I got everything to my apartment in Paradise Valley. Got everything set up. Uh, did all of that. And... Then she went on about her life. She's like, you know, you you know, when you're when you're moving down here, I'm not going to be living with you. And I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. And so we lived we lived apart down here for a year and a half, and you know, still talking, still hanging out, still being friends. And she would come over occasionally, and uh, still occasionally having sex, still doing any of that. And we eventually were talking about the house, like our, our like the the, the long term plans to buy a house and do all this stuff. And is that something that you're still interested in doing? She's like, yeah, I do want to do that. And so she, she was living in an an apartment down, downtown Phoenix, midtown. Mm -hmm. And I was way out in paradise Valley, put 16,000 miles on my car in one year driving between (laughs) paradise Valley and downtown for shows and events. And I was, I want to be closer in and all that. So she had a, a, a run of different roommates that were, really incompatible and not not working for her for a number of different reasons uh from the guy that she caught crystallizing ketamine on her kitchen counter and synthesizing dmt (laughs) in the kitchen to a couple of really slovenly unclean people (laughs) and i was just like well my my lease is up they want to raise my rent and if if we're gonna try to buy a house together then we should be trying to save money. I'm like, you have a two bedroom apartment. 
I can move into the other room. I can keep the litter box in my room. I can have the cats yeah. in there. You'll have you'll have your dog Sasha on the other side. And she had you know somebody sleeping on the couch at that point to help pay the rent and make everything cheaper. And eventually transitioned him out. <laughs> and then she started dating, or I should say, redating the guy who was her high school boyfriend, hmm. who her parents did all of the wrong things and created the Stark. Star-crossed lover scenario. You can't date him. You right, can't right. date her. Right. Now we have to date because our yeah. parents don't like <laughs> it. And, da, 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 da. Yeah. and uh, she's like, like right, right before, right as we were getting started moving, we were driving around. And she's like, so I got contacted by my high school boyfriend. He wants to get together and have coffee. And I'm just like, what? Why? I'm like, exes are exes for a reason. <laughs> she's like, well. I just I want to talk to him and see how he's doing because I felt like it could be so much of this and so much of that. And I was like, bad idea. Don't recommend it, but it's your life. <laughs> so we moved back in together. We're seeing each other, but not an exclusive couple or anything like that. Yeah. And she was also seeing this guy. And she was, And then she was at the house less and less and less. And it became like a, I never see you. Why are you paying rent here if you're living somewhere else? Yeah. <laughs> Like, are we still doing this thing? And and then his uh, his lease came up, and she asked if he could move in with her in, in, in the other the second bedroom. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, save us more money, right? Yeah. And we saved up and got our down payment together. Bought a house in 2018 in downtown Phoenix, and lived in that house for three years. And definitely interesting times. Yeah. <laughs> my my views on poly and relationships and stuff continued to refine and I continued to think about what I wanted out of life and what was accessible and people would always ask what's going on with us together I'm like yeah not really I mean we're we're best friends and we live together yeah we have a very long-term committed relationship in terms of the friendship and cohabitation and my most recent ex was like the first person who was like yeah it's a it's a long-term poly relationship it's largely non-sexual yeah. It does happen occasionally still, yeah. but it's it's not the primary driving force <laughs> right. of why we're together and why we're doing what we're doing. And she was completely okay with that. And we went into this relationship with the understanding that we were that we were open and poly. And so that was never a, a thing. And then maybe I could have played the like my need for sex thing into just being with my other partner. And, but it's that fundamental like disconnect between what I felt like I needed from my current partner versus what I was getting was probably the biggest yeah. part of contention. Yeah. So I'm curious about your experience with BDSM and like what you get out of it. You, you mentioned that you're primarily dominant. Primarily, primarily dominant. So yeah. I, I got my start in the 90s, mm. mid 90s, going to fetish nights in Portland, Oregon. And at that point, I was firmly convinced I was straight and not into guys at all. And Never had any experience on that range, but I was, you know, going to fetish nights with a group of friends, male and female. And the first time I went, my friend was like, you coming to fetish night with me. I'll pick you up at this time. And I was like, okay, what do I wear? He's like, club wear, you know, dress, yeah. dress for the club, dress whatever and, and go. And, uh, he showed up to pick me up and he's in a mini skirt and uh, a little blouse with a, a bondage collar on and a D ring. And he hands me a leash. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. And he's like, we're going to fetish night. And <laughs> then so we went to fetish night and I'm sitting in a room full of people. And so Oregon has some really 
interesting laws mm-hmm. that make it a really flexible place to do fetish night. You can't have people fucking live in front of people, but you can have projections on screens of people fucking live in a back room. Mm-hmm. So like we're, we're in this, in this play space, which happened at a bar called Barbati's pan. And you know, we're walking up. It's like November, December. It's icy cold, like sleety rain. There's girls running up who are in head to toe liquid latex, you know, <laughs> scurrying into the club and, there's bouncers out front and everybody's, everybody's getting in. They're like, nope, you don't need dress code. You got to go. <laughs> All yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I'm in a room full of people. There's people in latex and vinyl. And that, that's probably where my earliest like, <laughs> rubber or latex. Those are my aesthetics. <laughs> so good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I had my first experience being in a place where people were actively playing and, and doing all of that stuff. And I didn't really participate that night at all, but I had previously um, a friend of mine was dating this girl and we were all, you know, hanging out drinking and he had a wire finishing whip. Oh, cool. Which was a wooden dowel with mm-hmm. literal electrical wire <laughs> that and he was showing it to me, and I had I had a it was calfskin uh, twenty three tailed flogger that I had bought as Spartacus leathers. That it was uh, this is probably what inspired me to get it because he was uh, he was showing. I was like, well, what does that feel like to get hit with that? And so he's like, well, I'll show you. He's like, take your shirt off, and and so he he starts starts working, and then his girlfriend came over and started running her claws along my bald head. Mm. And I'm just like, like her nails or like, were yeah, they like, like metal claws? Well, like her fear nails okay. and yeah, cool. doing, doing all that. Yes. And, and he's like, <laughs> this is kind of amazing. And went to the first fetish night and then, you know, wax play and all that stuff. And so I, I went home and started experimenting with wax on myself, seeing mm. what I liked, what I didn't. Cool. And so wax plays fun to receive and ended up buying this flogger and, then I was I was driving around in the middle of the rainy season, winter in Portland, and I didn't realize that the flogger, which was attached to my hip, was like at, at the bottom of the door, sticking out of the car. Oh like no! It. No! It was actually no the best thing that ever happened because <laughs> it, it took the calfskin, yeah, and utterly broke it in. Oh man! In such an and it and it, it became <laughs> too soft. Yeah. And so I was like, well, what do I do with this? Yeah. And so I braided it and I took, and I went, all right, I've got 23 tails. I'm going to do five tails of three and one tail of five, six tails of three. So it's the 18. Yeah. And then, and so it was quarter inch, super soft, super supple calfskin. But then at the ends of it, it was like almost starting to fray and getting way super soft. Mm-hmm. So then it became braided. Till this far, then it became a knot. Mm-hmm. And then you had these super, super fine, feathery, light touch. And you could dance that along. Yeah. And it was the softest crest you can possibly imagine. And with a flick of a wrist, it became the most solid flack. Uh, cool. <laughs> and uh, 
I was at a I was at a house party with it was a, one of the first times I hung out with the same guys that I do this noise in the woods event with, and uh, there was this guy Sonny there who was from New York, and I've tried to track him down, never able to find him. Anything. All, I, all I knew was his first name, <laughs> and he's there and he sees the flower. He's like, "Hey, you know how to use that?" And I'm like. And I've been practicing my figure eights on a yeah. plywood with tape and doing all of that. So I had some small amount of knowledge. Yeah. And so I start working and I'm, and I'm warming it up and he's like, hit me harder. Hit me harder. And he, and he, he goes, hit me harder, gerbil dick. <laughs> and so I took a step back, grabbed it by both hands yeah. and stroked it down his back so hard he dropped to his knees. <laughs> And he spent, the, <laughs> yeah, he, so he spent the rest of the night asking me to please be at least bisexual. And I was just like, ah, oh, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. And, yeah. You know, that experience and a couple other experiences uh, where I, I came to realize that I, at least on some level, I am attracted to men. Mm. But at the same time, it's something that I've never followed through with. Yeah. Um, there's abuse issues in my childhood that mm. kind of poisoned that well for me. <laughs> and I don't know if, it, if it's ever something I'll fully get ther- therapy for or process or if I have any real interest in doing it, but at yeah. least being able to acknowledge that, yeah, I am attracted to men, but not all men. <laughs> yeah. And Do you um, play with men very often though? Like in BDSM, even if you're not getting sexual with them? Because BDSM is kind of, yeah. you know, is able to like, satisfy that itch a little bit yeah i yeah i i i have friends who would be totally down to do that i I just i never have that's yeah yeah. but i wasn't really after when i when i left oregon and moved to nevada bdsm is a very different thing in nevada than it is in oregon because oh tell me about that because in in nevada uh prostitution is defined as any sexual act in exchange for payment Yes. And it's also okay. constitutionally guaranteed yeah. in any county with a population of less than 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's legal. Mm-hmm. And then once the population crosses that threshold, it becomes illegal. Mm-hmm. And that all dates back to the 1800s and early 1900s when there weren't a lot of women out west there in, in, in the desert in those places. And so to give those miners and <laughs> cowboys and everything else an outlet yeah. <laughs> and keep the, the you know, the, the few women that were out there safe. I mean, they, they did provide an emergency relief valve. Yeah. <laughs> so how does that change? How did you experience that so changing? The you can't, community? you can't pay performers yeah. in Nevada. You can't in in Clark County because prostitution is illegal. Oh, so you I see. can't have professional yeah. BDSM performers. You can't yeah. have uh, large events, which makes it like what fetish events there are. There's lots of underground clubs and places and things that you can get involved with, but that was never my scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just kind of put a hold on that and didn't really get involved with that. And then when I moved to Phoenix, there's a fairly big. Uh, there was a really big fetish scene active at that point yeah. uh, through a group that used to be called Horns and Halos. Mm-hmm. And they ran giant fetish events, brought in acts from all over the world and all kinds of stuff. And so my primary partner was a big fan of going to those. And we would we would go to those and I'd get to work on her with the flog and dress her up in, in rubber and 
put lube all over her and do all of that fun stuff that I enjoy doing. You mentioned kind of reworking that flog that you had. Was that where your joy of like creating kink implements stemmed from? Because I know you make paddles and stuff. Yeah, so um, the paddle thing's actually kind of new. Oh, um, cool. It just, I, had, I had somebody commission a paddle. They were like, I want this paddle. And they showed me a picture of this hand-shaped paddle that had Legos as a backing. So you mm-hmm. could actually plug bricks in and make custom patterns and be as uh, <laughs> masochistic, <laughs> sadistic yeah. as, uh, as you might want to be. And so, <laughs> I, so I was like, fun. yeah, I'll do the design. This is the basic like outline of what it's going to cost me to custom design this. You yeah, know, I'll yeah. charge you this much for runtime, this much for design time, this much for this. And came up with some custom design, showed to him. And he's like, that's way too big. And so what was way too big was a cricket bat that is a inch and a quarter thick, weighs four and a half pounds, and is made of red oak. Um, it's custom CNC'd, and the front surface is almost entirely covered with randomized grooves and patterns, yeah. um, as well as a custom cut-out design based on Chaos Stars, because mm-hmm. it's... It's my chaos paddle. <laughs> and uh, it leaves quite the epic mark. I've gotten to use it a couple times. And uh, definitely going to gonna have to perfect that a little more because I don't want to make people bleed every time I hit them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is it is fun to play with. So yeah. I, I made, made this guy this custom paddle. He was super happy with it. So now yeah. I, I do that as a sideline. I'm working on, a, working on a design for another friend of mine as a thank you for... A lot of uh, legal advice that he provided me, and uh, I'm building him a paddle that, if I were to sell it to somebody, would cost about four hundred dollars. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> he runs nice and though. everything. Yeah. yeah, well, it's nice to be able to have that kind of skill to make. I mean, at the very least, gifts. You know, yeah, it's a bonus mm-hmm. to be able to make money from it, but uh, it's always nice making custom gifts because they're even more meaningful, for sure. <laughs> Especially for kinkster friends. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if nothing else, it'll be a, a great conversation piece for him to, to carry around. He's a big guy and he yeah. uh, he's, a, he's a daddy dom. And uh, <laughs> when he saw it, he was just like, oh, when he saw it, he's like, oh, so good. <laughs> and I was like, well, if you had one, what would you want on it? He's yeah. like a Maltese cross, the Templar cross. And I was like. What do you think of this? And I was like, like, all right, what what, what do you think of this? The Templar cross inside a Celtic cross and not work. He's like, whoa. (laughs) I sent him him pictures of the CNC artwork and this is what it's going to look like. And he's like, oh my God, that's going to be amazing. And I'm like, it will be very good. Yeah. I'm really curious. You've told me before that you have diabetes Mm one and you've had it since you were a child. And, I am curious if that in any way has affected your sex life or your sexuality or the way that you interact with partners in any way, Um, you know? So to a certain extent, yes, because especially prior to getting an insulin pump Mm. being and continuous glucose monitoring, um, unexpected lows uh, or blood sugar being too high to have sex, Mm -hmm. you know, effectively... I've been told that I should avoid any physical exertion if my blood sugar is above 275, which includes sex, which includes anything else. Right. Um, and if my blood sugar drops too low, everything just stops working. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it just, it's just like, oh, and then it's like, well, look, yeah, I'm at 50. It's time to go eat some glucose, that kind yeah. of stuff. Then there are 
ED concerns um, as you as you age. And I've had diabetes now for forty years, and thankfully, um, none of the none of the ED stuff has <laughs> reared its ugly head. ED erectile dysfunction. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I'm also in very good control compared to where I was when I first moved to Vegas, which was before I was on an insulin pump. How old were you when you got your insulin pump and started being able to track everything better? 32? Yeah. yeah. And that really changed a lot. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. it, it, it still took years to get dialed in properly. And it really sure, didn't yeah. get dialed in properly, properly until I started... Uh, exploring other dietary options than standard. Really? Yeah, because with an insulin pump, you have a basal rate, which is the rate of insulin that your body needs per hour to keep your blood sugar at roughly the zone it's supposed to be in. Mm -hmm. And they kind of guess that when they put you on it. It's what we think you need. Yeah. But there's no real testing (laughs) that they can do other than... Well, where are your low blood sugars happening? Where are your high blood sugars happening? And when are you eating? And if you're not tracking that real well, it gets even harder to track. Mm-hmm. So it, was, it wasn't until I started uh, doing keto and doing an extremely low-carb diet mm-hmm. where I was almost not eating any carbs at all um, that I really was able to focus in and see on a daily basis where I was getting too much insulin, where I was not getting enough, mm-hmm. and could dial that into the point where now I can fast for 24 hours and I might have one blood sugar at five in the afternoon. The only reason I still have that is because I haven't been able to find the way to adjust that time frame in a way that fixes it without sending everything out of control. Yeah. So I've just kind of lived with it and my, Hemoglobin A1C is like a 6.3, 6.4, which is higher than it should be for a non-diabetic person. But it's been steady 6.3, 6.4 for the last year and a half, Yeah, which means I'm doing very well. My average blood sugar is 130 to 150. Everything has been a lot better control since I started this, which is really amazing. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I can only imagine that because your body became a little bit more regulated. I can only imagine that your relationships kind of followed that trend. Did you, did you notice like a market difference? In like- um, so that was 32. Or even being able to have sex more regularly. Or- oh no, I was, like I, 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 I was having marathon chem sex <laughs> like with, with partners. Yeah. Like, like my favorite, my favorite sex in the world is sex on acid or sex on esoteric research chemicals that haven't been around for ages. <laughs> yeah. Why, um, why is that? Why is acid sex your favorite kind of sex to have? The connection that I feel with my partner, mm. the utter awareness and union that I get when I'm having that kind of sex is it. I, I think it primarily is one of the reasons why I don't do one night stands. Mm. Like I, I, I did those in my twenties. Yeah. And Sex without attachment, sex without a relationship behind it doesn't have a lot of draw for me. Mm. Like I, I need to be emotionally involved with the person that I'm with or it just, it's not fulfilling in any way for me. Yeah. And I would rather jerk off. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 <laughs> so acid just amplifies that. And, yeah. And so. Connection. And, yeah. 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 Cool. And then the esoteric research chemicals are fun because it's, uh, 
12 and a half hours of straight sex with 15 minor orgasms and seven major orgasms. Mm. And a, mi- a minor orgasm is, is a lot like jerking off. You get release, and, but the, the major orgasms are much more in line with how women describe their big O's, <laughs> where it's just entire body arching, yeah. twitching, ugh, unable yeah. to do anything for as long as that lasts. And, yeah. But the best thing about that was the next day, neither one of us were sore. You don't want to serve raw. We didn't have to use any lube. Wow. Which. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, it's also the only time I've ever in my life been sated. Yeah. Where yeah, right. sex was literally the last thing on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that you have an OnlyFans. What, what has your experience been with that? Um and what kind of uh, what kind of uh, what kind of thing like content do you provide right now? Um, so I had a whole lot of content to, and I have a whole lot of content that I have model releases for, which I could legally be posting. Yeah, but at the same time, Arizona has very strict um, revenge porn laws, mm. and so all of this content was filmed with my ex. Yeah. And so it's like a couple's OnlyFans? No, she has her own performer profile. I have oh, my okay. own performer profile. Okay. Uh, she takes the stuff that she likes out of the sets that we shot and yeah. wants to present and does that. And then there's stuff that I took that I like that that I want to present. And, yeah. you know, it's, I, I don't have a subscription. It's a free OnlyFans. Yeah. It's just stuff from that. And so. Do you have any solo stuff or. Uh, no. Yeah. yeah. Never, never really my thing. I'm, <laughs> I, I fall safely into the American male norm Yeah. of, you know, five and a half to six and a half inches. It's, <laughs> it's a penis. It's, there are many like it. Yeah. It's right in the ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you get? I mean, especially since it's like a free only fans, what did you um, enjoy having an account like that for just, Putting yourself um, out there? Putting myself seeing, out there. I, yeah. I, I enjoy making the content. I enjoy yeah. um, I enjoy watching my partner get into a completely orgasm-based subspace where they are there to be the reception of every, every type of pleasure I can give them, even if it's not involving my penis, where it's, mm-hmm. it's like... So is it? I assume there's like kink and stuff. Yeah, there, on there there's too. there's yeah. A, a little bit of kink. Yeah. Um, we've we we shot some stuff that was more BDSM focused, and you know she she floated some up to see if people were interested in seeing it, and they didn't. But we we did do some kink stuff. We did do some uh, some stuff. They're really nice. I, I bought her a uh, a custom made latex nuns outfit. Mm. That was one of my favorite shoots. That thing. <laughs> And my lawyer friend who gave me the advice is just like, yeah, if you want to keep that for your private spank bank, you can do that. But it's not even worth the risk of posting any of that stuff. And I'm not in a lot of the posted content on her for thing. I'm just, I'm the photographer or I'm I'm doing that kind of stuff. Um, But we made sure that if we posted anything that I was properly outfitted and kitted as a, as a performer and verified and all of that stuff. Right, right, right. And 
So now I've got to, I've got to figure out what I want to do with it, what kind of content I want to post, what I want to do. And also I'll probably start doing stuff regarding the paddles and yeah. that kind of stuff. Oh, that's and, a great idea. Yeah. I know. I know my friend Mark would let me, he would help me set up the stuff to record me working him over with the paddle <laughs> on a St. Anthony's cross or whatever and be totally yeah. down with that. And that's fine. I love Mark dearly. He's, he's one of the few people who I would probably do something with. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's there's so much other baggage associated with that that I'm not sure I'm ready to unpack. And <laughs> what what I have found is I'm attracted to vaginas more than anything else. I, it doesn't matter how masculine a woman is. It doesn't matter if they're a trans woman. It, it, I've dated people ranging the spectrum from extremely girly to extremely butch, mm-hmm. and it's that's the thing that does it for me. I don't I don't find myself watching gay or bisexual porn um it's i'm not opposed to the idea but it's just not really (laughs) where i come from so when we went to that kink event together you were decked out in was that latex head to toe uh vinyl pvc yeah and looking fucking hot as shit (laughs) and uh you had your it, like a cop style hat. Yes. My, my and it keeper says keeper hat. on yes. it. Tell me about what keeper means to you. So keeper is my BDSM title. Yeah. Um, like master or whatever. And to me, a keeper is someone who tends to and cares for uh, the filthy little animals in their life. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> so my ex, uh, used to refer to herself as a chaos bunny. Yeah. So I'm the chaos bunny keeper. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah. (laughs) What a fascinating conversation with chaos keeper. He has a lot of experiences I've just never talked to folks about before. So I really, I loved hearing how he's utilized sex magic to literally get rid of his depression, but how he felt it also held him back in other ways after a while and so needed to undo the work he had done on that. Absolutely fascinating. I did not realize that sex magic could be used in in such a way. Also, throughout the conversation, it was clear how much he enjoyed Uh, having sex on drugs and what he got out of different kinds of drugs and how they enhanced sex and intimacy for him in terms of like connectivity and introspection just kind of goes to show that some people use drugs more as a tool than the often thought of you know partying or escapism sort of aspects so thank you very much chaos keeper for sharing with us a little bit of your story. Next episode, I'll be talking with Ethan in Mesa, Arizona, and he's a homeless man that I befriended, and he talks about his various experiences uh, and how he thought for a period of time that he was trans and realized after a while that um, he's not. So definitely stay tuned for that story in two weeks. 
As always, I do have a Patreon. If you feel so inclined to support me and this passion project of mine talking about sex and sexuality with other people, you can check it out at patreon.com slash sexwitheveryone and get all sorts of good behind-the-scenes bonus content and extra events that I throw and whatnot. But alas, all good things must come to an end. So I will talk to you again in two weeks. And in the meantime, stay awesome, friends.